Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. All right, we're continuing in the book of Jonah. You guys, I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, If you're not, you've only got about four more weeks to endure But I'm loving it, and I think that it's changing my life, and I'm praying for you because I want it to change your life as well. We have said that the book of Jonah has been given to us so that we might be confronted with the character of God, and thus, in turn, our characters might be revealed to us so that we as Christians, those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, can continue to repent of the places that we turn for identity other than God, And we can go out and live in faith in this world. And for those of you who are here today who have yet to put your faith and trust in Christ, this is for you as well, that you would see God's character. And today, in these five verses, I want you to see this as the main theme. I want you to see that when God's mercy captures our hearts, everything changes, starting with our obedience. Let me say it one more time. When God's mercy captures our hearts, everything changes, starting with our obedience. We've talked about the tension of Jonah, and today the tension is high. We see Jonah actually respond to God, but there's something about his response that makes you wonder because you have read chapter 4 of Jonah. And if you haven't read chapter 4 of Jonah, feel free to take four minutes right now and read God's word. It'll take you four minutes to get through it. But you know Jonah, right? You know that he's called to Tarshish. He responds by saying, no way, God. He runs the opposite direction. God sends a storm and then a whale to bring Jonah back. And then he tells Jonah in this verse, now go back to Nineveh. And he says, okay. And yet you know in chapter 4 that Jonah is going to respond with anger. Jonah is filled with tension. We have been sitting in this tension, and I want you to think that the author of Jonah has put that tension in front of you and me so that we will crawl through it like a window. And the room on the other side, we're going to be sitting in the very presence of God. Because that's what his word does. It reveals God's character and exposes us in front of him. The first thing that we're going to see is that mercy is central to God's relationship with humanity. The second thing that we're going to see is that the objects of God's mercy are always shocking. They're always shocking. And the last thing that we're going to see is the impact of God's mercy. Those are the three things that we're going to look at through these verses, okay? So you can open those Bibles up to page 775. I want you to be able to look at them because they are incredibly written. When God's mercy captures our heart, everything changes, starting with our obedience. Mercy is central to God's relationship with humanity. Verse 1 of chapter 3 reads like this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I told you last week that if there were two verses of Jonah that you would memorize, it would be chapter 2, 
verses 8 and 9, that ends with salvation is from the Lord. And as I worked this week in this passage, I laughed with Mita and I said, I've got to go and repent. I shouldn't have said that so quickly. Now I kind of want you to say, if there's one verse that you memorize in Jonah, it's right there. That the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I want you to be amazed at God's mercy. That the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah, the one that said, I'm not doing what you're telling me to do, God. He essentially said to God, no way, and he ran the opposite direction. But God's word came to Jonah a second time. God responds to Jonah with mercy. Do you see this? I've told you before about my reputation at home as a soccer player, how my friends mercilessly uh, tease me about the fact that I botched our final game on our quest for the state championship and a one-to-one with the goalie, and I missed it. The goal is massively wide. The goalie is a small individual, and I missed it. My friends are merciless about that. And then I began to think about it. You know, there are only three coaches that I remember. Two are my cross-country coaches in these two different high schools that I attended. But the third is my soccer coach. And you want to know why? He never brought up that game again. That man showed me mercy. Look, if Jonah were playing for any of your sports teams, Jonah would not be back on the field right now. Jonah would be on the bench, and you know it, and I know it. You know that Jonah would be warm in the bench, and that the coaches would look over at him and say, Jonah, now I want you to watch that prophet, and I want you to do like that prophet. This time I want you to obey. Now, Jonah, sit there, and you watch and learn your lesson. That's what it would be, wouldn't it? But is that what we get in this verse, it's not what we get. We get the reality that God, the God of the scriptures, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, is a God of first chances and of second chances and of third chances and of fourth chances and of fifth chances. Do you want me to keep going? This is who God is. This is God who acts mercifully. How do we understand that? The one who shows compassion or forgiveness towards someone whom it is within his power to either hurt or punish, right? God is a God of mercy, undeserved and unmerited. We see that Jonah is back in the game. And it's amazing that he is back in the game and entrusted with God's words. You heard what he said, arise, go to Nineveh, proclaim the words, the message that I give you. Jonah isn't just back in the game. He's not just one who's placed on a position in the field where it doesn't really matter. He's, he's put right back in the, in the front. He's engaged again. And that's the thing I want you to see in this, is that God's mercy is always to the end of our obedience, right? He tells Jonah in verse 2, right there, arise, go to Nineveh. How come I've just... So, oh, right here in verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. 
And Jonah responds. This is not the Jonah that we have met before, is it? It's a new Jonah. I mean, you spend three days in the belly of a fish, imagine how different you might be. Maybe you would get out and obey the word of the Lord too. The interesting thing is we see Jonah's obedience. It's amazing right here in verse 3. It says, so Jonah arose, number one. And he went to Nineveh, number two. And the author wants to make sure that we understand according to the word of the Lord. Without fail, Jonah obeyed. But you and I both know that chapter 4 is coming. We've read it. I'm not going to be the spoil alert because you should have read Jonah, I don't know, three dozen times by now. You know that Jonah's going to go and proclaim to the Ninevites and the Ninevites are going to repent and Jonah's going to be filled with anger and he's going to look at God and he's going, God, I am so angry with you. I'm so angry. I want to die. That's what Jonah says to God. And we read his repentance or we read his obedience here and part of us is impressed, right? Wherever Jonah was spat up on land, it was probably close to 500 miles to get to Nineveh. You know, some of the commentators said of that day it would have taken a month to walk. The only people in this church that I know who have ever walked 500 miles are Ross and Marty. I don't know anybody else who's even walked 500 miles. Have you? I mean, that's a long time, at least a month, to think about what you're going to do. And Jonah goes. He obeys. But there's a question in your heart because you know Jonah. There's a question that says, is his obedience tinny? Do you know what I'm talking about? This idea that, that you knock on something and instead of a solid resonating sound, it's like this ting, ting, ting. And you're like, is it like that? Because I've said that when your heart is captured by the mercy of God, Everything changes, including your obedience. And I long for us to have the resonating sound of full-orbed obedience, that gospel tone. Do you ever sense that your own obedience is tinny? Well, this is something that you need to hear, that when God's mercy captures your heart, everything changes starting even with your obedience and mine. Do you respond in your life with pride, with hard-heartedness, with defensiveness, begrudgingly doing what God calls us to do? Maybe even we're quick to anger, just set off like this. Maybe we even use the words of Jonah, I'm so angry I could die. What do you think the cause of that is? I want to go to the second thing as we let that hang. When this theme is that God's mercy, when it captures our heart, changes everything, the second thing that we see in this is the objects of God's mercy, right? First off is Jonah. We can't miss him. He's the one that God's word came to a second time. Jonah is the object of God's mercy. And it's shocking because we've seen what Jonah's like and we know what he's going to be like. The second object of God's mercy is equally shocking, and it's in the second part of verse 3. Nineveh is the object of God's mercy. How do I get that? Read it with me. It says there that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days journey in breadth. Now let's look at this a little bit in depth for a minute. This actually says 
if you were to read it in the Hebrew, and you can read the note as easily as I can at the bottom of that of your page right there, that Nineveh was a great city to God, is what it says. What does that mean, that Nineveh was a great city to God? Well, the commentators wonder that since it was three days in breadth, in other words, it took three days to cross it, to go across Nineveh, that maybe it was just an exceedingly great city. And it's not unusual that something would say, you know, you are such and such great to God. So in other words, Abraham at one point was called a prince to God, meaning a a mighty prince, right? Pharaoh says of the thunder and of the hail that came down, it was the thunder and the hail of God, meaning it was a mighty thunderous and hail. But the question is, is that what's meant here? Nineveh, by this time, in the early 7th, 8th century, had already fallen apart as a world empire. There had been infighting among the different factions. And when you talk about the king of Nineveh, what you're talking about is the king who was a king but had all of these other parties, if you will, political parties, but parties that would war against each other in Nineveh. So much so that the Assyrian Empire could be called like the greater Boston area, the greater Nineveh area, right? So the city of Nineveh could be so big it could stretch from Nineveh proper all the way out to, say, Worcester, right? And and that being such a great place. But the writer of Jonah never wastes words. And the writer of Jonah says that Nineveh was great to God. And in chapter 4, you're actually going to read that one of God's arguments with Jonah, God looks and says, shouldn't I have pity on this city? This city of Nineveh that has 120,000 people and even more cattle than that. That this city is important to God. That Nineveh was important to God. You see, we read this book of Jonah, we're drawn in by the questions. We see that Jonah is the object of God's mercy, that Nineveh is the object of God's mercy. And one of the questions that comes into our minds is, are we the object of God's mercy? You and me. And I want you to know that central to the character of God in his relationship to human beings is mercy. Toward you and me. That we are objects of God's mercy. Jeremiah writes in the book of Lamentations that the mercies, that God's mercies never come to an end, but that they are new every morning. And look, without getting into your living room and your bedroom, I do want to look at you and say, you better be glad that that's true. Because you need them to be new every morning. You do. You do, I do, right? We do. We need his mercies to be new every morning because we have no hope unless we are objects of his mercy, his compassion and his forgiveness toward those, us, whom he has every right not to give compassion and mercy toward us. You see, God defines himself to Moses. He says, I'm going to be gracious to who I'm going to be gracious. And I'm going to show mercy to who I'm going to show mercy. And you kind of stop and you go, why would I be an object of God's mercy then? 
And the only reason he gives in all of Scripture is because he has set his affection on you. He has said that you are an object of my mercy. That is a stunning reality. That God shows his mercy to any of us. But that if you are hearing this word proclaimed, it is likely... Those of you who have confessed faith, it is certain that God's mercy is on you. It is both humbling and assuring, isn't it? Humbling because we all want to contribute something. There's no way I'm just dependent on God's mercy. I'm a good person. It's amazing to hear people pray, and when they ask for God to do something for someone, they usually recite the 12 reasons why they should, God should respond. Because this person has done X, Y, and Z, would you please do this for them? It's infrequent to hear someone pray, I have no regard before you. I shouldn't be here before you. But would you please show your mercy? Would you do X, Y, or Z? It's humbling. But here's the other thing. To accept that you are an object of God's mercy is reassuring. Because you did nothing to receive it. And you cannot lose it. It is both humbling and assuring. And finally, it's just like God then to love Newton and Wellesley and Waltham if God can love Nineveh. And even more so, I would say that your presence here, our presence here, is a great encouragement that God does indeed love and does indeed intend to show mercy in these communities where you and I live. But the last thing I want to show you is the impact of God's mercy. When God's mercy captures our hearts, everything changes, including our obedience. This is the impact of God's mercy. Listen to Jonah's words, verses 4 and 5, okay? Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Here again, we see Jonah obeying. We see him obeying right away. He's a day's journey into a, an area that would take three days to cross. And on the first day, he starts to cry out. If you ever wanted to memorize all of a prophet's prophecy, you should memorize the book of Jonah. Because this is it right here. These few verses. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all the prophecy you get in the book of Jonah. Now, I'm convinced that Jonah did more prophesying than that. That the people asked him, wait, what are you talking about? And that he explained himself. But the words that the author of Jonah wanted recorded for us to show us the impact of God's mercy were these words, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all that is said. This is interesting. And again, it's so good to sit in. This idea that God's mercy changes everything. Because do you want to know what Jonah said? Yet 40 days. Do ring any bells to you? 40 days. You're like, interesting. I, I know of a lot of places in Scripture that talk about 40 days. You know it rained during the flood for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you know that Moses was on Mount Sinai? How long do you think? Well, I don't know. Maybe 40 days and 40 nights. That's exactly right. Spies went into Canaan. How long did they spy out Canaan? Well, that, yeah, that's right, 40 days and 40 nights. I got one for you. The Philistines, they taunted David and the Israelites. And, and David came at the end of the 40 days, but Goliath went out for 40 days and taunted Israel. 
What do you think Jonah knew or heard when he was supposed to proclaim, yet in 40 days? Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. He was supposed to understand, uh-oh, God's going to do something. Because any time in the Old Testament, the 40 days and 40 nights is referenced, God is at work. And so Jonah knew right away something's about to happen. And not only that, but the other word that he used, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overturned, would have been hard for Jonah to say. It would have been really hard for Jonah to say. You want to know why? Because to be overturned does mean to be annihilated, like Sodom and Gomorrah. And trust me, you read chapter 4 and you'd have been, Jonah been thrilled with that, that they would have been annihilated. But do you want to know what overturned also means? It also means like to turn around, like to turn a chariot around. Rahab, or Ahab was a, was a king of, of, uh, of Israel and he was killed. And when he was killed, he told them, I've been shot with an arrow, turn my chariot around. You want to know what turn around also means? It also means to be transformed. Jeremiah says, you know, can a leopard transform its spots? Neither can you, who are evil, transform yourself to do good, is what he says in Jeremiah 13. It's the same word. And so even Jeremiah, even Jonah's prophecy causes him to stop and go, what is God doing? Jonah is the one saying this. Even in his prophecy, Jonah is being challenged to believe God's mercy, right? It's incredible to see. Mercy holds out hope, always. How many times this week have you gotten to a hopeless place? A hopeless place, a place that you say, I just don't think it's going to work. There's just no way this is going to work. You need to remember that you are an object of God's mercy. That's what you need. Because mercy always holds out hope. This is why Jonah went and sat because even the words that he proclaimed, he wanted to see what side of it was going to come true. God was obviously at work 40 days. Is he going to annihilate Nineveh or is he going to turn Nineveh around? And the response is absolutely amazing, isn't it? it says there in verse 5, they believed God. It says they proclaimed a fast. What does that really mean? It means that they proclaimed to God, look, we're not going to eat any food because our life is dependent on you. And we're going to demonstrate that by not eating. And then that they were clothed in sackcloth. What is that? That's clothes for mourning. That is essentially them saying, we see how we have sinned and we are mourning. This is unbelievable stuff that an entire city does this. I'm excited in ministry when one person repents. When somebody says, oh my word, I see my sin and turns to God and rejoices in God's mercy and forgiveness. Imagine over 120,000 people. Some people say that those 120,000 are just children who don't know their right from their left, right? That Nineveh could be even larger than that. But this amazing response is unbelievable. Did you know, you know, we, our, our Jewish neighbors just celebrated Yom Kippur on the 8th and the 9th of this month. Did you know that during Yom Kippur, they read the book of Jonah? as a paradigm of what repentance is. Now get this. Jewish people read the book of Jonah to study the Ninevites as a paradigm of what repentance is. That would sort of like being studying the Nazis for what repentance would look like. 
It's that offensive. It's that unbelievable. It's that awe-inspiring because God's mercy had captured their hearts and everything changed. They were transformed, right? And see, this is where the penny drops for you and me. We have to be able to look to Jesus and see that God's mercy seat is open to us because of Christ. The one whom God has shown his mercy through, sending his own son to die for our sins, that you and I would not die. That God would demonstrate his mercy for us and there that we would be transformed. One of my favorite songs is that song that says, thy mercy is more than a match for my heart, which wonders to feel its own hardness depart. I almost want to ask you to raise your hand if you feel like you have a hard heart. If there's something in your life where you go, you know something, I'm so defensive right here, I don't even know how to talk to this person. How about a hard heart that refuses to believe that anything's going to change? Because when God's mercy captures our heart, everything has changed. The Apostle Paul said this. When you gaze upon Jesus in all of his glory, and where is that? That's at the cross. That that's how our hearts change, is by looking at Jesus. We are changed, women and men, by looking at Christ. This is God's merciful gift for us. And listen, as we study this book of Jonah, I want this mercy to be yours. Because of that other Ann Steele song that says, thy mercy seat is open still. Here, let my soul retreat. How many of you need to have a retreat at the mercy seat of God? To sit in his mercies for you that are new every morning. They are new, you're objects of his mercy. Is God's mercy the theme of your song? Is it where you place all of your hope? You go, Bradley, I'm not sure if I know. Well, let me ask you this. How quick are you to become angry? Defensive. When does your obedience feel tinny? Where have you said, God, I'll do this, but I don't want to? When we are overwhelmed with those emotions, we have lost the realization that central to God's relationship with us is mercy. Why do I want this for you, for us? me because I want us to be marked with a humble assurance that spills out in our community and as the Beatitudes show us make us merciful people people who demonstrate mercy let me ask you this when's the last time you walked through your neighborhood and you prayed and you asked God God, give me your heart of mercy for my neighbors. I want to be merciful, Father. 
Make me merciful. Look, Jonah may be able to teach us this. I've told you that I really do think he's going to be in heaven because God's work is always effective. We don't see Jonah make that turn. But we do see it in David, don't we? This week in prayer, James was commenting and he said, you know, you read Psalm 51 and you compare it to Jonah's psalm and the one difference is you don't see repentance. And in David's psalm, he says, God, obedience is not what you want from me first. What you want from me is a broken and a contrite heart. And then you want obedience. Because that obedience comes from a place of knowing God's mercy. And that is so true. Family, we come to this table. It is a table of mercy where we are reminded that God's mercy captures our hearts and it changes everything for us, starting with our obedience. Come and eat with me. Let's feed here.